actually started uh, the book of Zechariah last week. Pastor Dan from Mexico was up. And again, it couldn't have been perfect timing. He had texted me, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I come and share? And lo and behold, I got sick, and he was able to stand in. So that was awesome. But we, we did start the book of Zechariah a couple weeks ago. It is the second to the last Bible book in the Old Testament. And so if you can, make your way over to Zechariah chapter 1. <coughs> with you, <coughs> with those of you who were here that night, <coughs> the book of Zechariah, and even Zechariah himself, as I shared that evening, and I'm just going to again share my insecurities with you. Um, <laughs> he, he's been intimidating. Not, not that I, I'm not intimidated by other books, because I am. I'm intimidated by all of it, and I can't believe he lets me teach it. But, but this book in particular, for some reason, maybe because I don't know Zechariah all that well, was a little intimidating as I got going. Now, again, I, I, I quoted a guy named George Robinson. I don't know who George is, but <coughs> he, he is quoted as saying that the book of Zechariah is the most messianic and the most truly apocalyptic and eschatological of all the writings of the Old Testament. In other words, it talks about Christ or, or, or the Messiah all the way through. It talks about end times constantly and, uh, you know, the eschatology part, the, the, the end, end times. And, and so there's a lot to that. And so that could be a little intimidating. Going okay. How do I, how do I convey this? Because I I am the type of pastor or teacher who, who likes to to have application. <laughs> what what can we get out of this for our lives today? And I know that there is always a place where we can go. Okay, what can I learn from this? How can I take away? What can I take away from this study, even in the Old Testament, when he's talking about all these things? And so I will always look for some kind of application. And so I must say that after getting going last couple weeks ago in this book, I started feeling a little comfortable with Zechariah. I hung out with him a little bit more, you know, to where it's like, ah, he's a good guy, man. So the guy was young and handsome and dashing and all these things, you know, things that I might not be anymore. But the fact of the matter is that we have the same Holy Spirit. And I love that, man. I love the fact that the same Holy Spirit that was in this young man who comes on the scene, that same Holy Spirit lives inside of you and I. Same one. He, he hasn't changed. It's not like, eh, I'm going to give you like third or fourth Holy Spirit. You know, no, it's top-notch Holy Spirit right now. You know, that's in you and in me that was in these prophets of old. And so, again, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with Zechariah to where hopefully I can just share a little bit more with conviction and understanding as I get to know the way he, he conveys a message. Um, I think what I had already gotten was the fact that, again, he comes on the scene and he's a young kid and he comes on with boldness. There's an older gentleman with him, Haggai, who who again, that guy only was around for three and a half months, and this guy just kind of busters himself in, you know, busts in right, right in the middle right here, and all of a sudden he's going to be taking over. And, and, and it says a lot about Haggai, 
who knew and understood what his ministry was, was, was like. He was only going to be there for a short time. He was powerful. Don't get me wrong. If you go back to our studies, it's a powerful book. Two chapters, the guy rocks it, right? But this young guy, he comes on the scene, and he knows what God has called him to, to do. He's not coming on the scene because he has to go and say something. He comes on the scene because he has something to say. And I love that about this young man, that he, there's this boldness about him that he's not, he's not going to cower to the old timers. He knows that God's called him to say certain things. And I love the fact that he comes on the scene and he just says it the way it is. Now, again, he is doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will see that even as we go through. And so, again, I'm a little bit more comfortable with this guy. And so Zechariah, he comes on the scene on the eighth month of the second year of Darius. That eight, eighth month was October, November, more than likely early November, in the year 520 B.C., which means that his first message that we looked at a couple weeks ago was in between Haggai's third and fourth message. Haggai's third message, uh, October 17th, uh, 520, and then his fourth message was December 18th, 520. And so it's in between chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that, that, that Zechariah first comes on the scene. And it was a short message that we looked at, but it was a powerful message to return, repent, and remember. Powerful. So let's start in verse 1. We covered 1 through 6 last time. And this evening we'll cover from 7 to the end of the chapter. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of uh, uh, Berechiah, the son of Edu, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn from your evil ways and, from your, e and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to your, uh, your ways and according to, to our ways, and, our, and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shebat, on the second year, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edu, the prophet. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. And it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow. And behind him were horses, red, sarrel, 
and, and white, sorrel and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to, go, to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, throughout the earth. And behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. Therefore, says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. And the surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities, my cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Let's stop right there, and then we'll cover the rest of that at the end of our, of our service. But as we get to verses 7 and 8, where all of a sudden he tells us, and, and I love this portion here, because just like the prophet Haggai, if you were with us, what I love about Haggai is that he gives us some exact dates. And I love that as we were going through it, the, the, just in two chapters, he gives us some time frames. Boom, boom, boom. You know, this month, that month, that day, that year. And he goes on and on and on and on. And so here we have another exact date. And I was just sharing with a young man that, that, that comes and hangs out on Thursdays that how, how dates are important. I said, you know, for you, he's, he's a high schooler, you know, your birthday is probably the most important date because you might get gifts. But when you start thinking about your parents and, your, and their anniversaries and then your grandparents and then just certain points along history that are important to us personally, you know, maybe as we get older we remember certain dates and certain times and certain periods of times. And you almost will go back, it's like, I remember that day, that particular day, and it just stands out in your mind. And I love the fact that God is so particular in his word. And I was, I, I guess I was just tripping this kid out because I'm telling him this is the day that this, is, this was written. This is the day that God spoke to a man and he, he proclaimed it. And so I love the fact that here we have these dates or, or this exact date. And we're only going to get a couple more from Zechariah. But this date was five months after the building of the temple uh, when, when they resumed their building. It was three months after Zechariah's first prophecy. 
in Zechariah 1.1. And what we covered a couple weeks ago was three months after that. And it was two months after Haggai's last prophecy. So on December 18th, 5.20, was, was Haggai's last prophecy. And so now we get three months later, basically, and so we, we, he, he comes on the scene again, or he's there, but, but now he has something to say. And it is during the night on February 15th, 519 B.C. Again, now we, we're still in the second year of King Darius, but it's almost like, like for, from when the time he began to reign, that's when they counted their years, not, not calendar years, because now we've moved into a, a different year, 519, not 520, but it's still the second year of Darius, uh, his, his reign. It's more of a regional or uh, uh, re, uh, like region, not region, but regal, regal, like a regal year. Um, in that sense. And so Zechariah has, has a series of, of eight v- visions that God all of a sudden starts speaking to him about on this particular night on February 15th. There's eight visions that will come to him all in a single night. It's not like he spreads out these, these visions. And I just find it fascinating because he's, he's laying these things on him and, and, and we're not told that he was told to write them down or anything, but, man, he, is, he, he knows what is, what is happening. They are so vivid to him. <coughs> they are vivid to him to where, again, he is, he is not skipping a beat. And I love that about this young guy. And so he has these eight visions that God is going to give him to encourage the remnant, those who have come back, those who have started building and then kind of got discouraged and stuff. But he is there to encourage them and to motivate them to finish the rebuilding of the temple because God wants to be in and among them. And as we learned last time that, again, God was saying, hey, don't be like your fathers. Don't be stubborn. Don't miss out on what they missed out. I don't want you to miss out. And again, I think he, he says that to us in so many ways because, again, we have examples in, in the Word, but we have examples in our lives of people who, who have started the work, started, started the race, and then just kind of go, eh, it's, time, it's time to sit on the bleachers again. And you're going, you're missing out, man. That's what you're going to do. You're going to miss out on what God has in store for you. And again, man, I know not everybody is, 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 is in the trenches in this way, but there's always a trench to be in. And, and, and so he had told them, don't be like those guys because they missed out on the blessings that God had. And so here he's saying, here, I'm going to give you these visions, and this is meant for you to speak and to encourage the remnant, motivate them to finish the work that I have called them to do. And so these visions primarily are, are on God's ministry to Israel. And his judgment on the Gentile world, on the Gentile nations that had been afflicting Israel. And so it says that the word of the Lord came to him 
to Zechariah, and it came by night. Now, again, here we get a glimpse of how the word of the Lord came to him. As I shared with you with, with, with Haggai, it doesn't, he doesn't tell us it was a vision or it was at this time. or it was, it, we, we just know that somehow the Lord spoke to him and he spoke. This time it tells us it's a vision. However it is, it's, it's a vision. It, it is seen in, in the spirit while he's awake, though. It's not like he's taking a nap and all this is happening. He is alert. It seems as though that's what it is. And, 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 and I say that because it, it almost seems apparent in how he questions the, the angel who is speaking to him. And it seems apparent because of the interruptions in the middle of some of the conversations that are going on. That he's going, hey, well, tell me a little bit more. Hey, who, who, who are they? What are that? You know, it's almost like a kid going, dude, I want to know everything right now. And so, so it's a vision. It's something spiritual in nature. It's kind of a, a, this divine revelation, but it has practical interpretations that, again, he is now verbalizing. I, I know like the Apostle John, when he began to see the whole revelation of Jesus Christ, he was told, hey, get a pad and paper, man. Start writing. Start writing everything that you see and you hear. We're not told that, he's, that, that they told him that, but he's doing it nonetheless because now we have it in written form. And he says, Behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees. In the hollow behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. The focus of the vision, this vision here, primarily is on this man who is riding a red horse. And it suggests that he is the leader of this group of horsemen who, who are in this vision. It says that he is standing, or he stood among the myrtle trees. And, and as one of the commentators said, it, it almost sounds like he is standing on the horse, not sitting, but he is standing basically ready for what's, what's coming, the, the, the information that will be coming or ready to, to go. However, I'm not a horse rider, so I don't know. But it just sounds, sounds like he is ready. You know, he, they're on patrol. He has sent these, these other people out. It doesn't tell us how many horses, how many riders, but he seems to be the one that's waiting for the reconnaissance report. And he is identified in verse 11 as the angel of the Lord. And so this whole thing is place, taking place among these myrtle trees. <coughs> in, in the hollow or a ravine or a small little valley. And some suggest that it might be the Kidron Valley, which would be on the east side of Jerusalem, where more than likely some of these trees were in abundance. And so we don't know much about all the other riders, but we are told the color of the horses. Now, again, it doesn't tell us the significance of these colors, but they had a red horse, the, uh, a, a sorrel horse, which is like a brown horse, I guess. Some think it might be a speckled horse. And, and white horses. 
And for some reason, we are told about these colors, but we're never told exactly why. But in verse 9, he says, then I said, my Lord. And, and, and again, now he's talking to this, this angel who's talking to him. And understand, he's not calling him Lord as in Jehovah because it's a small L, my Lord. He's just saying, hey, you're in charge here. You're, you're the one that's telling me all this stuff. I'm looking to you. And he says, what are these? What are these? Again, it seems as though Zechariah is alert and he is engaged in what he sees and what he hears. And he wants to know what's going on. Now, it doesn't seem to me that this young man is freaking out in any way. So however this, this vision is appearing and this angel is talking to him and he's seeing what's going on down in the, in the little valley right here, he's just kind of tripping and he's going, who are they? What are they doing? So it doesn't seem like he's, he's freaking out in any way, but it, it's not making a whole lot of sense. But he wants to be in the middle of what God is doing because he knows this is something spiritual. And he's asking. And I love the fact that he's not afraid to ask. And the angel responds to him and says, I will show you what they are. Now, we are never guaranteed that God will tell us everything that's going on. Which would be nice to know everything. But it never hurts to ask. Because there's times that you're going, okay, Lord, I don't know exactly what's going on, so you need to tell me what's going on. And there are times for some reason God says, you know what, I just can't tell you what it is. Now, what you need to know, he will always reveal those things. What you want to know, might not always get what you want. But it never hurts to ask, to be inquisitive of what is going on in life, with situations with things that you're not quite capturing and you're going, okay, Lord, I'm praying, I'm seeking you. What is happening here? And again, you go back to his word and sometimes he just reveals it to you in his word to where you get your answer. And sometimes he just says, just trust me. I don't need to give you all the details right now, but you just need to trust me that I will carry you through this little situation that we're in. Or, or, or you have this vision and you're going, okay, what's the end game? And he's going, I can't tell you the end game right now. Because if I do, then you freak out. But I'm just going to walk you through that. And so there's times that, that the Lord reveals and there's times that he doesn't always. But it never, ever, ever hurts to ask. <laughs> I would say, you, 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 you could... You could uh, I'll probably go and get, get in trouble for using this word. You can nag, but that doesn't always help. But, or, or you can be like the, that kid. Why, 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 why? Mommy, mommy, why, 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 why? And, and again, you know, we, we, we do have that, that, that one portion, and I'm reminded of that one judge who had this lady that was persistent. And finally he's going, I just got to get her off my my docket here, man. Let me just take care of the business so she could stop bugging me. 
It's not that God gets bugged or perturbed by us. There's just certain things that, that he will only let you know so far. And it doesn't always give you the whole picture, but it never hurts to ask. But let's not nag him. Women. No, I'm kidding. <coughs> and then it says in verse 10, And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered. So he's saying, Who is this? I will show you. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones, these writers, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So it seems that the rider who stood on the horse is the one that answers the question for this angel that was talking to Zechariah. He tells them who these riders are. They had been sent by the Lord himself to search, examine, comb the earth. They are in essence patrolling the earth with a specific mission in mind because they have been sent by the Lord himself to go gather information of what's going on in these nations that God has used against Israel. Okay? And so it says, and they answered, or so they answered the angel of the Lord. So these guys come back, and in verse 11, they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees. And they said, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Now, I would say, and I think that we can deduce, that all these riders going to and fro throughout all the earth are angels that are under the command of the rider on the red horse, the angel of the Lord. It's interesting because we see a lot of angels here. <laughs> we shouldn't be freaked out about angels, nor sh should we worship them or honor them in any way. But man, oh man, we see angels throughout the Word of God. And we have angels that are, uh, an angel who is talking directly to Zechariah, and he's not freaking out. Although, as I was reading in Matthew about when the women come to the tomb and this angel talks to them, it doesn't seem like they're freaked out about the guy. They just want Jesus' body, and yet they're going, hey, don't be afraid. And they're going, we're not afraid. Just tell us where the body's at, man. You know? But, but these guys are ominous, man. These guys are huge, or these guys are powerful, or whatever these guys are. But, but it doesn't seem like these guys are, are or Zachariah is getting freaked out by them. And we have seen angels here going to and fro, so now there's an army of them. And then it tells us, or, or, or the word tells us that an angel is only a messenger. The book of Hebrews calls them ministering spirits who go forth ministering for those who will inherit salvation. And they are not doing their own thing. They are not out on their own. Angels have specific missions. They do not have free will like man does. The time that they, uh, they revolted, man, that, that is when we, we see that Satan and those demons fell. They turned into demons. But these angels, they're not out to do their own thing. They don't do whatever they want to go do. 
They are always under the command of the Lord. And then we have one more angel that we hear here uh, about here, and that is the angel of the Lord. And this is different. Now, sometimes we see a small A for angel of the Lord, which is a messenger of the Lord. But there are times, like in our text here, that, that in verse 11, where it says, and they answered the angel of the Lord, the word angel has a capital A which suggests and speaks of the second person of the Trinity, which speaks of Jesus himself, having this pre-incarnate appearance, which some theologians call a Christophany. But be that as it may. So this angel of the Lord is, in fact, the Lord himself. And he has an army that goes to and fro throughout the earth. And so this speaks of the fact that Jesus, Jehovah, is the angel or is the Lord of hosts, the commander of the Lord's army, the, the armies of heaven and earth. And I, I just see this, this amazing picture as I'm looking at this, this, the, this vision that we have that Jesus is, is actively active in the Old Testament he is actively active, sending his armies with, 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 with information to go get information to come back to him. And, and he is active in the lives of the people that we see in our text here. And the people, the, the nations, and Israel in particular. So several times throughout the Old Testament, we see the angel of the Lord made these these temporary uh, pre-incarnate appearances um, on the earth as the Son of God. He appeared to Haggai, he, uh, not Haggai, Hagar. He appeared to Abraham, to Jacob, to Moses, to Gideon, and he also appeared to Samson's parents. In Joshua chapter 5, we see that Jesus shows up as the commander of the Lord's army as well. And so we see several times in the Old Testament that Jesus makes these kinds of appearances. And it says that we have walked throughout these people that come back, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, the earth is resting quietly. And so these messengers, they report that the Gentile nations are resting quietly or are at rest and at peace. Now, after, after all the upheaval that has happened from the empire's uh, and how Persia had, had conquered the Babylonians and all these nations, uh, and how they're gaining control and stuff, it appears that this report should be an encouragement that everybody's kind of resting. But the, the reality was that the Jewish people were not resting. Instead of the nations continuing to help them and encourage them as they were told to, they are resting and allowing the, 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 the Jews to continue to struggle. And so while they're at peace, the nation of Israel is struggling. Haggai had promised that the Lord would shake the nations and redeem his people. But that event had not yet occurred. And the, kingdoms, uh, the kingdom promised by the prophets before seemed to be a dream that would never, ever come to pass. And so it just seemed that it would be so far out there. 
granted that these there's some uh, future implications to the millennial kingdom, but in the short term, after coming back from exile, they they would be or should be able to rest. The Jews should, and they were not. And so in verse 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry all uh, these 70 years? Now what is interesting here is that we have an intercession from the angel of the Lord, which is not usual. Because this divine messenger is usually representing God to the people rather than functioning as an intercessory role representing the people to God. And so the fact that the angel of the Lord addresses the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts in prayer kind of supports the, the distinction of persons of God of, of the Godhead here. And it contributes to the implication and, and, and the... the uh, to, to the doctrine of the Trinity, even in the Old Testament. And the angel of the Lord says, how long? That is his cry, how long? And it is an, an, an express deep need for Israel to have the angel of the Lord act on her behalf. And I love the, the fact that heaven and earth right now, even as we're looking at this, heaven and earth are affected in this whole scene just on behalf of Israel. The 70 years had been promised of captivity. Uh, they were over, and the city was still not rebuilt. Jeremiah the prophet had promised that God, God's blessing would come after the 70 years were completed. But the nation was still suffering, mainly because they had forgotten that, that this blessing, well, it came, it came with a, an attachment, and that was repentance that they would call upon God and seek Him with all their heart. The very thing that Zechariah had preached to them three months earlier. And so from verses 13 to 17, we have the answer. The Lord answers. And He talked with him. And I love this portion, that He, that he did this with good and comforting words. The Lord answered the angel with good and comforting words. And he told him, here, tell this to, Jer to Zechariah. The Lord affirms, guys, his love, his jealous love, and his concern for Jerusalem. You see, God is jealous over his chosen people. He is a... He, he, he is like a husband who would be jealous over his wife. He, he is like a parent who would be jealous over his own kids. It's not a bad thing that we see this jealousy here because any husband should be jealous over his, uh, his wife that nobody should hurt her or, 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 or take her away. Same thing with his kids. In Exodus 20, verse 5, one of the commandments where it says, And you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Deuteronomy 4, 
24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6, 15 and 16, For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. And so I love the fact that he, he reveals himself in this, in this vision to Zechariah as a jealous God. One who, who has this zeal for his people. And that explains why when, whenever they went away to serve other gods, he called it adultery. He called it spiritual fornication because they were guilty of worshiping other gods. And I love the fact that the Lord is jealous for his church today. Just as jealous as he is for, for Israel. In James 4, 4, 5, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? He tells us that he was angry with the, with the, nation, with the uh, Gentile nations because... Even though he had used them and called upon them to come and punish his people, it seems that they went overboard. They, 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 they took it to another degree that God never intended them to, to take. He called the Assyrians to come after the northern kingdom. He called the Babylonians to come and chasten the southern kingdom. But now his extensive wrath through the nations was a result of their excessive, prolonged, and intensified punishment of Israel. Again, God was, was a little angry, and he desired for moderate punishment of his people. But they helped themselves instead. And it seems like they couldn't help themselves. And they overstepped their limits and so God was going to take care of that because these guys were now trying to destroy God's people, not just punish them, but destroy them. And they brought the Moabites in uh, as a result of it as well. <coughs> but the Lord's most heartening words here had to do with Judah's future. Not her enemies. It was his, her, the future of these guys because God promised to return to his people and to prosper the nation. And he would comfort Zion and prove that the enemies of, the, of, of Israel uh, proved to them that, that these guys were his chosen people. His promises repeated throughout the, 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 the visions that we have here And so what I loved about this, guys, is the fact that whenever we're in a, in a hopeless situation that, that we don't know if God is on our side or not. And I'll tell you, this is part of what God was ministering to me the other day. Just feeling like, man, I've, I've been abandoned. And God just reveals himself once again to say, no, I haven't left you. 
And it wasn't that he was rebuking me. He was just allowing me to go through what I had to go through. But he revealed his love for, for me on a personal level, just like he will to us, just like he was doing that to these guys. He says, I will return to Jerusalem with, with mercy in verse 16. My house shall be built in it. The surveyor's line shall be stretched out over it. Everything will be taken care of. It will be right on track. He says, my cities shall again spread out through prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. And so because they had repented and they were on the right track, he says, I will show up and I will show you things that are going to blow your mind. And that's what I love about what he was just showing me personally, even through this portion that I was studying. That, that when they were going through it, even though that they were being rebuked by the Lord, the Lord was not done with them. And those who were now hurting them on purpose, God was going to take care of. But he was going to show back up because they repented. They confessed. And they were going to believe his good and comforting words. Verse 18. And we'll finish up here. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four, four uh, horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? So he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah. These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. And so now we have the second vision that the Lord shows Jeremiah. And it's a short little vision here. Uh, he shows uh, the prophet Zechariah on that same night. And again, he's not freaking out, but he continues to ask the question. And so we have four horns. The four horns speak of power. And more often than not, it speaks of Gentile power, that these nations, kingdoms, or kings. And so they, they, they suggest, some suggest, that these are the, the four kingdoms from Daniel chapter 2. The Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Grecians, and the Romans. And the four craftsmen, or the smiths here, speak of those who are skilled. And more often than not, they are under the power of God, who has given them their skill. So, so we could see here how four horns acted on their own interest against Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem to scatter and destroy them so that they could not lift up their hand or their heads. And yet at the same time, we see how the four craftsmen or smiths were now used to terrify or cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the people of God. And so what we see here in this vision, in this scenario, 
is that these four horns have also become the four craftsmen. As each empire became the, the, previous's, the previous empire's successors. And so as one was coming up, the other one would be coming and taking over because God was using each one of them to bring down the other. Now, at the end, it would be the kingdom of Christ as the Messiah that would ultimately destroy the Roman Empire at the end. And so that, that's, that's for way in the future. But he shows them here that, again, he will use anything and anybody for his purpose. These, these powerful horns he could also use for his, his doing. Let me read these verses in the, in the New, uh, New Living Translation, and then we'll close up. It says, Then I looked up and saw four animal horns. What are these? I asked the angel who was talking with me. He replied, These horns represent the nations that scattered Israel, or Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths. What are these coming to do, I asked. The angel replied, These four horns, these nations scattered and humili humiliated Judah. Now these, these blacksmiths have come to terrify these nations and throw them down and destroy them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, even as we look to you and thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Lord God, for the book of Zechariah, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just help me as I learn more and, and study more, Lord God, about what you're doing and how you're redeeming the nation of Israel, Lord. Again, Lord God, I know that in the time frame that we have, Lord God, we, we've been going back and forth, Lord, in different years and different time periods. And yet, Lord God, to get the semblance of, of what's going on, Lord God, is the fact that you are faithful. That, Lord, when, when you allowed your people to go into captivity, Lord, you, had, you said that it would be a specific time and you brought them back. And you've re re revealed yourself once again to the nation of Israel in our text. And you've reminded us, Lord God, that you've never stopped loving Israel. You've always been jealous for them, Lord. And Father, we thank you that even when we feel so far away, that when we come back to you, Lord, you receive us as if we've never left. And so, Lord, I'm so grateful for your word, and I pray that, God, you would just help me in studying and understanding, Lord. God, that you will use the world the nations of the world for your purpose. Lord, you're the king. You're the creator. You use kings as you, you, you change them and, 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 and you guide them like you guide rivers, Lord. All of it, it's under your control, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your word towards Israel and to, towards your church. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.